As a small content warning, this episode contains discussions of mental health and psychological trauma, which are themes for both Changeling the Dreaming and this book, The Book of Storyteller Secrets. If you'd like to avoid the more intense parts of those discussions, they occur around minute 18 and minute 45. Thanks. This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Hello. How goes it? I'm good, and you? It is an incredibly balmy Sunday evening. Yes, same here. It's actually a little bit warm in my apartment, and I've turned off the heat. It's the coming of spring, as all changelings should look forward to. Well, all the Sealy changelings? A little bit unclear on that part. Like they all want spring, but don't. Anyway, that's yeah. Today we'll be diving into two of the shorter books. Um, I believe these were the two books after the first edition Changeling Core. We have the Book of mm-hmm. Storyteller Secrets, which is not the Storyteller's Guide, and the Player's Kit, as opposed to the Player's Guide. And there's a special surprise from Puka as well. Mm-hmm. Makes it sound kind of diabolical and or scandalous yes maybe we'll introduce but i promise it's neither it's neither we'll get to that so yes uh we were debating on we'll go through with the book of storyteller secrets first just that was we believe the second book published we can the mists have covered up the publication order of changeling unfortunately but this is the best anyone can seem to remember it it does have seven zero zero one as its uh tag number which but I, I can, I can uh, if you try to go absolutely by the tag number, you get very strange things in Changeling happening. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, so Book of Storyteller Secrets, published in 1995, I believe. This is Deirdre Brooks and Ian Lemke, with additional material by Bill Bridges, Phil Bricado, and Andrew Greenberg. Mm-hmm. It's a friend of the show, Ian Lemke, and I'm sure all the other ones are uh, at least acquaintances, or hopefully will be friends one day. Fingers crossed. So... Uh, Do you want to get into the structure of Book of Storyteller Secrets? Sure. So we have three chapters in this. The first is crossover rules for the Other World of Darkness games. And again, since Changeling was the fifth of the initial five, we get rules for vampires, werewolves, mages, and wraiths. And then the majority of the book is taken up by this jumpstart adventure called Quixote Syndrome. Uh, And chapter three is just the jumpstart characters for that story. So... I admit there aren't as many secrets as I envisioned uh, in this book for storytellers. Yes. And maybe the term jumpstart wasn't acceptable for a title, but it's really mostly a jumpstart with some crossover rules added. The crossover rules I have weird thoughts on because first of all, a lot of them aren't focused on changeling. Hmm. (laughs) Like it's like a lot of like, here's how you can have your werewolf and vampire play in a game together. It's like, okay. Yeah. And this is the first after the core book, this is the first thing you would read from Changeling. As a storyteller. Yeah, as a storyteller. Yeah. How, to have, how to have a werewolf and Changeling. How to have a werewolf and vampire play in the game together. Or, I mean, it has Changelings too. It's got all five games. Yeah, and it, I also find it an interesting, because the other two chapters tie into each other, but nothing really ties into 
this isn't used in the rest of the book really at all. Right. I mean, the, the sample story doesn't involve other supernatural beings whatsoever. So mm -hmm. the crossover rules have no bearing on the introductory story provided. Yep. But I suppose they're still useful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, it starts off with talking about power levels. I don't want to be the grumpy knocker of this podcast. Go for I it. I think that's my... Why do we need this rule? Like... Yeah. It I guess a little <laughs> bit of vampire like with the whole like Auspex obfuscate thing. That's like the only time I can think of this showing up in anywhere. I think there is this notion that because each supernatural being has its sort of power set that goes primarily from 1 to 5 and then sometimes above 5, there's this expectation that they should somehow be um commensurate with each other and they're really just not. Yeah, but it, it'd be like, okay, so somebody's using, like, chicanery versus, uh, what's the noble one again? Why can't I remember the noble one? Sovereign. Sovereign, yes. And mm. I don't know, he's somehow saying they're in opposition, so it's like if your chicanery's too high, you can't oppose it with sovereign, but if your sovereign was higher, then you would get an opposed role or something? It, it, isn't, it isn't entirely clear. Yeah. But it definitely, I mean, they say compare a vampire's discipline rating, a Garu's rank, a mage's sphere rating, a wraith's arcanos rating, or a changeling's art rating, and the supernatural with the highest score wins. And it just makes me think, if you compare something like Chicanery 5, which, you know, lets you um, essentially mess with emotions however, I believe that's Chicanery 5 at least, mess with emotions mm -hmm. however you want. Compare that with Mind 5, which lets you create an entire consciousness. Those don't really seem like they're on the same level to me yeah <laughs> but it's also you know, like sure. even try like i was having trouble coming up with examples like a lot of the time you'll be like are these in opposition i don't know these two levels of each power are but the rest of the levels have nothing to do with each other right and also there's already rules for them so what do you mean like yeah so creating comparison and opposition purely on the basis of number doesn't really seem to work so well yeah yeah, and it wasn't even like they're in opposition. It's more like, anyway, yeah. A lot of times it doesn't even make sense. Like you're using a cantrip and using auspex are not the same thing at all. That being said, it is the first and I think only time we get a suggestion that you can have an art level six simply because there are disciplines at six and above. So mm. the chart has level six for discipline, Garu rank, sphere, Arcanos, and art. I don't think there are level six for um, Wraith Arcanoi either, are there? Not that I've heard of. I'm not the, I mean, I've read more Wraith than you have, I think, but I'm not like a... But, yeah, I mean, I've read the core book and I think part of the player's guide, so... I officially reviewed one of the books for a magazine back in like 2000. Well, then you're an Wraith. order of magnitude ahead of me. But I don't remember which book I reviewed. It was either... Uh, it might have been the Shadow book, but I can't remember. Well, unless it had Arcanos level six of some kind. No, um, it did not. <laughs> Anyway, so we have that whole comparative table, which doesn't really seem to um, help much. We no. do get some more specific stuff, though. So we get information about what happens if vampires feed on changeling blood. They get yeah. launched into the second threshold of bedlam. Yeah, that's that's a thing that I'm always like. World of Darkness is, they never totally, especially early stuff had a lot of it, but it never totally got rid of it where it's like, okay, there's this thing and you can do the thing and you'll get crazy powers from it but we don't really want you to do the things so to get you these major downsides to it and you're just like are you saying you should have the thing in your game are you saying you shouldn't have vampires drinking blood are you saying you should and then let's give them lots of bedlam i'm not sure what the goal is here 
Yeah. But, and then of course, Malkavians being immune to it, often being dreamers and being immune to the mists is um, a choice. I know my favorite part of this entire thing is a single sentence, uh, which is on the obfuscate entry. Slua may mm-hmm. discern kindred using, I quote, any level of this discipline on a successful role of perception plus alertness difficulty seven. Now, Slua certainly have, you know, sharpened senses and they are very perceptive and they are attuned to things that most changelings are not. However, <laughs> in the vampire I... canon, you have things like, you know, the suggestion that Absimiliard, progenitor of the entire Nosferatu line, might have used Obfuscate 10 to effectively erase himself from existence. So now I want there to be the scenario where some random slua just happens across him and says, oh, hey, and uh, see how well, that, that goes. The, the really weird part would be a random slua walking up to a stranger and saying, oh, hey. Well, it would be much quieter, probably. <laughs> yes. Or maybe just staring, you know, angstily from a shadow. Something like that. Maybe they're both yeah. in the shadow together. Maybe it also works on the Ali Bitin and like the really high Archmasters, like they're only friends with Lewis. There you go. Um, yeah, the werewolves are all easier to enchant, but don't have the mists resistance that Malkavians have. So I'm not sure which is more of the dreaming, Malkavians or werewolves. I would say Malkavians. I mean, the Malkavians, again, first edition vampire, the Malkavians could go to the moon and therefore Arcadia. So, mm. Or maybe the other way around, I should say. Yeah, but I think so could the Tremere. Well, the Tremere are just the worst. That is my default response to all things Tremere-related. Apologies to any Tremere stands okay. that are listening. So could the Toreador, which are like the second worst. So. Well, I will I will fail to agree on that one. However. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, and there's interesting talk about uh, the what I think will be a through line through our entire podcast series for as long as we do this. Our Chimera... Uh, spirits so this section on werewolves says they're like spirits but they're not they're separate from everything described and all the gifts it's like like spirits just like spirits this works this way on chimera or this is a bit different than with spirits with chimera which to me says they're not spirits but close enough that gifts are cover the bases yes well if especially if the werewolf's enchanted sometimes if the werewolf's not enchanted it doesn't work and then you have mages, which is pretty clear that Chimera are spirits under the mages section. Which has been heavily altered, certainly as of Mage 20. And I think second edition mage, I believe, is still kind of, you know, spirit oriented. Maybe by revised, it was moving more towards mind, but now it's pretty solidly mind mm-hmm. and prime, it seems. Yeah, but I just find that like in the same book, I think you look at them like they're on opposing pages, but you can open up the book and see both at the same time. Right. One says they're spirits and one says they're not, which is... I wonder if when they were writing this, they kind of went down the hall and knocked on Satyros' door and just said, hey, real quick question. Uh, where would you put these? Yeah. And then just rolled with it. Yeah, it also comes into the, like, in when I'm running mage, everything's the umbra that's not the earth. From the, if you ask most mages that i'm cool with that's my default in character belief setting yes in character sure. but i don't have yeah i do not have it it's like yes mechanically it works differently and doesn't cover the same spheres and uh, there's no reason to call this the umbra but mages call it the umbra yeah there is also the interesting note that mages can attempt to resist enchantment which I didn't recall yeah. from subsequent editions, but it makes an interesting... Uh... I'd have to pull out my 1E Mage book to figure out maybe... My thought is maybe 
mages had like some sort of counter magic thing against other mages in that edition, and they're just sort of using the same thing. Perhaps, although they also have counter magic versus cantrips, so it's somehow treated differently. Yeah, it's different rules. Okay, <laughs> never mind. They can also magically drain a freehold, which is just rude. Well, uh, that I think needs to be part of your. I like that in my crossover game. Yeah, that's fair. Of, uh, they would. I mean, mages yeah. are the worst. That's how you know that because the Tremere are mage vampires. There you go. And then we get our first sort of glimpse of the banality level of mages. Uh, we have the Technocracy at 9 and 10, the Dream Speakers, Rabenna, and Order of Hermes at 4 and 5. And this is, of course, a mm -hmm. bone of contention because the ratings will shift and be debated and be challenged uh, throughout. Well, of course, it also is this is back when every member of the Order of Hermes had the same paradigm. Every member of the Rabenna had the same paradigm. Mm -hmm. And the paradigm determined the banality rating, which is for this edition, sure. Why not? Yeah. We get very little on wraiths, which is fine. It's funny because, again, we said that for the one E wraith book was like a lot of detail on fairies. Yeah. I suppose it's easier for them to see the Kithane than vice versa. Barring the Slua, mm -hmm. although we don't get Slua seeing ghost rules until, I believe, Kith book Slua. Was that one E? I guess we'll find it. Yes. Yes. But it's a very short. I mean, other crossover sections in other books, I would say, tend to be a bit longer. This is barely four pages. And it has nothing on how to run a crossover game. Right. Like, this kind of thing, yeah, these, so a lot of this is questions that would come up in a crossover game, sure. But yeah, it's, it's not sufficient. We get some general sketch outlines, like changelings avoid vampires. Werewolves have the most contact with changelings. Fane mages have drifted apart. Changelings have the least contact with wraiths. That's about it. So mm -hmm. go ahead and build yeah. a chronicle around it. But they also have freeholds. Some freeholds basically would be wraith hotspots. So. Yeah, absolutely. So how about chapter two? So I found a very interesting bit that I twigged off of right at the beginning. There's a little intro story that was uh, written at least in a third person narrator, like omniscient narrator style. In Arcadia. Yeah. And it also suggests winter is coming to Arcadia. At least that's what I read about, read from it. What are your thoughts about fiction set in Arcadia? I have thoughts and feelings, but I'm curious what yours might be. I'm, I'm going to say something a bit controversial. I'm not a big fan of Arcadia <gasps> in Changeling. I'm like, I don't dislike it. I'm just kind of like, eh, sure. Why not? Yeah. So like, it's hard for me to get annoyed with a portrayal of it. How about you? I mean, I'm okay with it in small doses because we have things like remembrance as a stat. We have the narrative of the she having very recently been there and kind of struggling to keep their memories of it intact. There are other examples. So in the um, in the immortalized novels, for example, there are little flashback sequences that are Arcadian. And I like it when it's kept vague enough because fundamentally it's like remembering a dream. And when you remember a dream, well, at least in my experience, I'm not an expert on the topic, which maybe is ironic. I don't know. When you remember a dream, you don't tend to remember the entirety of it all at the same time. You remember hmm. a bit of a conversation or uh, a highly detailed moment or an object or a view, you know, 
But the narratives start to finish with all of the details and all of the people fully fleshed out saying all of the things very precisely with all of the intonation and inflection and meaning. That's more difficult to totally recall. So when the flashbacks are presented in that way and not in a more trying to remember a dream disjointed kind of way, it it makes Arcadia feel less abstract to me. And I think Arcadia should be abstract. It should be kind Ooh. of like Golconda. It's this thing that means very different things to the people who think about it and might not be as pretty and perfect as people think it is and is this very far off distant muddled thing that's that's the arcadia i want to see in the narrative of the game it definitely was not presented as perfect in that little short fiction also that yeah like i'm reading this i'm like ah well it's a suggesting a few interesting things like well it's not like any of the fae tell the truth and i'm like i don't remember that in the any of the books yeah including the first dead book like the core book i don't know it was interesting because it was also yeah it felt like different from what they would i mean they're still right establishing things so okay but Mm -hmm. but anyway yeah the rest of the book i guess kind of had something to do with it but anyway um the rest of the story i mean so what'd you think of dr chapman oh dr chapman well (laughs) i mean I suppose we need to at least briefly kind of talk about uh, the, let's say, uh, perspective on psychiatry and mental health in relation to changelings. Uh, yeah. I mean, we can also go to a brief thing. Like the one thing I did kind of like about this is it briefly outlined the entire idea and then expanded upon it after. So you can read that and go, okay, this is what this is about. And now we get into detail. Yeah. Dr. Chapman is a Dantean psychotherapist. Something like that. that. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Dr. Dante. Yeah, who's running a... uh, Are there really mental health facilities like this? Or is it like a Hollywood thing? Do you know, I'll tell you you a brief anecdote. Um, A number of years ago, I lived in Washington, D.C. And uh, two doors down from me, this is... We're going to have to put a content warning on this, just FYI. Yeah, this whole this whole episode from this point forward, um, this gets into heavy themes of mental illness, mental health professionals, not nice things about a lot of things that we're going to have to talk about. Proceed with caution, but we'll be as delicate as we can. Yep. So two doors down from me was this facility that had closed shortly before I moved there. And I found out later on that part of the reason it had closed was because there have been reports of like orderlies misbehaving and abusive practices, et cetera. Um, but it was like an, a, a mental health facility for adolescents and it was vacant by the time I moved there. Although it was a very, um, it was a very dark kind of place. I mean, dark in the literal sense, but also the figurative sense. And, you know, it was this sort of hollow building. There'd be like one light on because they still had security guards kind of patrolling, but it just was this presence sitting on the street. And eventually it was demolished, but it, it definitely exerted that kind of atmosphere where even if you didn't know the details of what had happened specifically, I mean, you could go find the news reports of things that had happened there. But it's still kind of, it was like a haunted house, you know, and you just walking past it got this chill. So reading this story, because that's essentially the setting, the main setting of the action in this jumpstart, that's what it made me think of. So I do think those places did exist, probably do still exist. 
And again, pointing to when people say Changeling isn't dark enough, I think that's a, a prime example of how it can be incredibly horrific. So, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the whole setting is really dark and it actually highlights everything. This is the world of darkness. So, this is why we're going darker. It said that a few times. Yeah. And like, first of all, Dr. Chapman's delusional. Yeah. He's a Dante. Like, just flat. But yeah, and it's just, you could sit down for five minutes with him and he makes no sense. Like, either there are no changelings, in which case him and his Dante hit squad are really jumping off a feeling of who might be having mental health issues. Yeah. And needing help and going to the point, like, we're not going to go, I don't think we need to do, do we want to do a play-by-play of the plot of this or? Well, at least an overview. So... Maybe I'll start okay, let's start with the overview. Yeah. So briefly, the protagonists of the story, which can be the player's own characters or the jumpstart characters at the end, are recruited to locate and eventually rescue this ten year old she who has awakened, uh, whose parents have taken them to this daunting psychotherapist who then moves the childling to his mental health facility, uh, where the childling essentially retreats into catatonia. And the players have to get him out. And he's the reincarnation of some fey knight exiled from Arcadia, etc., etc. So it's a smash and grab to rescue someone from this incredibly banal mental health facility. So it's a very sort of paranoid and... Yeah, um, and there's this interesting complication, which I'm thinking about, like, um, that childling, his fey soul has left his body? Yeah, which... They don't entirely, I don't know that we ever get another example of that in the entire... But especially interesting, because if you read the She write-up for the 1E core book, they're not like later books. So I I guess this has already changed. That one actually had the She are vulnerable to banality because they are basically disguising themselves as humans. Like they're more traditional changelings. But that doesn't work for this kid. So I guess that's changed now to him having like a human body. I think I'd have to review the She write-up to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe i'm jumping off too I mean, much well, or something but uh i i think it's in in a sense to protect oneself from banality particularly if one is a she either one can try to retreat into oneself which i think is kind of the assumption you know the player characters would have here or one can vacate the body entirely somehow and there's not really Mm-hmm. mechanics for that or other instances and it also talked about because he's looking for his lost love well that yeah which that's a i mean i was reading through this and i was so afraid something would happen that didn't happen in the plot which makes me happy where you don't find out his lost loves like a 25 year old woman and he's 10 for example yeah it was a little bit yes. weird to read about the 10 year old pining for his lost lover yeah but it was just okay at least they didn't go there yes yeah. so. the flashback to arcadia goes there but but then he wasn't 10, so that's okay. Right. Yeah. He's eternal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the player characters, there's example player characters they play, but it explicitly says you could drop in your own PCs for this. This is just to make it easier, which I appreciated. Yeah. And the catalyst for the plot is that this 10-year-old is the ward of Duchess Avel, who's the sort of East Bay Duchess, uh, and she gets a more full right up in the toy box. Well, she wants him to be the ward. It's probably the best way of putting it. She hasn't met him yet. She's like, there's a she. Go get the she. The would-be ward. Yeah. And, you know, they, they introduced it. Interest, like, you could tell they were trying to put in plot hooks for you could take this and not just run this story, but turn it into a f- ongoing chronicle. Right. 
which fits more into the sort of sub-meta plot that we've talked about of Dr. Stark and his Dantian groupies. Mm-hmm. But also some other stuff like with that Puka, I can't remember his name. Erech. Yeah, Erech. So yeah, Dantian psychotherapists shooting dark guns at people. We get some thorough descriptions of like other patients at the Institute and the layout and things like that. So it's it's actually a nicely described little setting, which can be repurposed for whatever. Yeah, like I think we can get into this more stuff, but I think like, I don't think this is completely unsalvageable. No. No, there's just a lot of things to be comfortable running it. I'd have to do more research and change probably. Yeah. So then we get into the actual plot of the story. I actually really like the art at the opening, which is one of the player characters, Chiller the satyr, kind of reading this scroll. You see him standing in his human mien and then his satyr self reflected in the mirror, which is a nice little... Mm -hmm. I also like he's standing in front of this wall of flyers and among others you have looking for vengeance, contract issues, reasonable rates, call Ronald. So (laughs) Ronald the hitman advertising at the local coffee shop. I have an idea if I want to run a crossover world of darkness game that's basically Shadowrun, but anyway i think I mentioned that. well as long as you have ronald the hitman in there yes so then we get into the plot uh the characters are hanging out erech who's the reeve of duchess evel i can't actually remember what a reeve is meant to do in sort of like the court hierarchy it's not the same as a seneschal but i forget the exact duties when I've run Changeling LARPs, it's been relevant, but that's been almost two decades, so I don't mm. remember. Yeah. But there, it is defined somewhere. It's, Arive does things. I mean, if you're in charge, if you have a big court, you need a lot of people to do different things, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, Seneschal's key holder, I know that. Yeah. So Arive would do things out, maybe he's doing things outside the freehold. Perhaps recruiting player characters to go find would-be wards from mental hospitals. Yes. So yeah, uh, we have this recruitment scene at a little grotto on the campus of uc berkeley which i'm into is that supposed to be a freehold i was a little bit unclear on that i don't think so i think it's just a so it's called crystal grove and it seems to just be this little i don't know dreamy place but it says a place that that in the real world it's impassable to get into there but to Cathane, it is a place where they do go. It calls it a glen, and whether that's supposed to be glen in the sense of a place where natural glamour is issuing up or not is unclear, uh, but it's owned by mm-hmm. a she, so perhaps... Yep. It's a fairy place. It's a fairy it's place. A, a fairly fairy... A fairly fair fairy place. There we go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the players get offered a whole bunch of possible rewards for locating this childling, and then we get an oath, which I found... <laughs> Pretty punitive, actually. Um, yeah, I've seen this oath in follow-up editions. It does get cut. Yeah. So it's the Oath of the Long Road, where when you swear it, you get an extra willpower and glamour point, which I suppose is like a temporary permanent one and not just a yeah. temporary point. But then if you fail to complete the quest, you lose three temporary willpower and glamour, one permanent each, and abandoning the quest... Uh, drains two each permanently and adds a permanent point of banality, which is pretty... Yeah, and gets all your temporary gone. And you're an Oathbreaker. That's that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of punishment for breaking an oath. Mm-hmm. For finding a childling, I feel. But... Yeah. Anyway, uh, then we get some NPCs and some interactions at Terry the Childling's home. Well, school first is what they have. Oh, yes. Which seemed okay. But that was like sort of like a dead of a dead end. 
and then you have the home where I don't like this uh, next plot thing because I don't think it really makes sense much. But In which part? In the home. Like after they visit the home and, you know, maybe you can find out details from the parents. And that, that's all That's all good, I thought. Mm. And then, oh, sorry, much more scene three, sorry. Oh, okay. After, yes, after they go to the home, then they get approached by three yeah. strangers. Mm-hmm. And then they all start firing dark guns. Yeah. I love their names. They're, they're just like the plainest names they could come up with. We have like Dennis, Cheryl, Don. Mm-hmm. And according to the art, their uniform seems to be red sweatshirts. I mean, it was the 90s. That, that does work. Fair. What is it about the interaction with them that you find? It's uh, just kind of like, oh, we're just going along. All of a sudden, people are shooting at you. Kind of. I don't know. There's no... Like, if this was on a movie, this is a TV show or movie, I'd be like, what? Yeah. Does it? I didn't really go run through the numbers to see if the, they'll... Will, the default is you get captured, but I just feel like, okay, it's one thing to have brutal things happening inside of, like, a corrupt institution, but the Dantainier, like, I don't know. Yeah, they're Dantain, I guess. Okay. I don't know, something about it just doesn't sit right with me. They're just sort of firing dart guns on the street against people they've never met. Well, it was the East Bay in the 90s. What do I know about how okay. how acceptable that was? Okay. What do you think of it? I just find the, the idea of roving bands of Dante and hunting changelings is a very 1E kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that they make a quick and handy villain, but I don't find them to be... They're, they're kind of one note, yeah. you know? I think, it, yeah, it's, it's a mental health institution kidnapping strangers. Like, if you had escaped from the institution and they're hunting you down and it's a dark world of darkness and they're Dantain, cool. Or something like that, right? But, like, they don't know who you are. Right, they've just been assigned <laughs> to trank these six strangers, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's unclear uh, whether or not... Well, certainly at this point, it's unclear to what degree the Dantain perceive the feyness of changelings. So, you know, they, they do have glamour, they do have kenning, but in their sort of warped mm. worldview, how does that manifest? Do they just, can they just sense that these are people suffering from what they well, see as an illness? Yeah, they have, well, because they have a bit about Dr. Chapman doing that, right? right? And if he's, if he's talking to you in, in an extended conversation scene, and then he jumps to the conclusion that you're one of these people with coyote syndrome. Okay, I, I can see that, right? Yeah. But these, again, are three people. They're not thinking of themselves as mental health, like, as experts in this. And they're just walking, watching some people walk down a street, like, who left a house. Yeah. Like, that level of rationalization is just... Well, the only, the only justification I can think of is that they, they were told, watch out for people who have this illness and are therefore a danger to others because they spread this delusion. Mm-hmm. And if you see any going to this childling's parents' house or yeah. the school, then try to take them in. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Dr. Chapman, perhaps we should advance to Act 2, where he makes his first appearance in the mental health facility. So yes, the, there's two possible ways of entering this. Either you're captured by the Dante and dragged in unconscious and put into cells or you've found out about the like the group the pc group has found out about this institution and are investigating it and there's like daytime hours and you're concocted some story that makes sense for you to go through there and they, they do address both of those yeah or i guess you could break in at night but 
any of the above. Mm -hmm. And it seems that there are a number of changelings who are being kept there that have been banalitied into various forms of catatonia or retreat or whatever else. And you get chimera of banality in here. Yes. Which I know some people don't like, but I actually think can work. And I think it actually works in here. Yeah. It's the fear of banality, if that more than banality itself, if that makes sense, I think is what's in here. Yeah, it's a very sort of rarefied form of nervosa. And we get a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of this section, we get one of the ones I think is the most interesting is the mirror nervosa. And these are, it says, Mm -hmm. born of feelings of inadequacy and self-hatred. It embodies the worst of the changeling's weaknesses and anxieties. And they have a power where they can actually become uh, a copy of their victim. So it's an interesting spin on the whole doppelganger idea to have this sort of camera that takes the form of the changeling. Mm-hmm. But it's not for a fight. It's right, for, just to taunt. Yeah, and really get into your deepest-seated issues. And it makes you wonder, can a chimera cause a changeling to gain banality? Because this is before we really had something like banality triggers, and banality was much mm-hmm. more a quality that things and places and objects just had rather than something that stemmed from the interaction between a changeling and whatever. Yeah, I think... Okay, so this comes into how uh, ravaging works. Mm. I mean, okay, ravaging involves rolling your banality, but, like, the actions don't require banality, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, doing that kind of thing doesn't require you to have a high banality rating to pull that off. It just requires you to be a dick. (laughs) So do, having Chimera being able to do something like that also doesn't really rub me wrong, especially with like their own power. kind of. These Chimera are dicks. That, that sums it up. Not the kind that the satyrs like. Wow. Yeah. We do get a uh, extensive biography of Dr. Chapman. I think Dr. Chapman gets like a longer write up here than the player's characters do. <laughs> so, but he is the big bad yeah, of the story. Well, so. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we have this sort of extended scene where Dr. Chapman tries to convince the players that they're insane and they try to lock them away, but it's fairly easy to get out before uh, Banality claims them to go find Terry the Childling. Terry the Changeling Childling. Mm -hmm. It's not the host of Mage the Podcast, although maybe. So that's, that's Act 2, and the assumption is that the players will figure out a way to escape from the mental hospital, get past all of the various camera that are haunting the hallways, Mm -hmm. chimerical psychiatrists, chimerical orderlies, paranoia nervosa, etc. And then we get to Act 3, The Return. Yep. And then this one just seems like a... Yeah, so it's saying, okay, you've uh, broken into a mental health facility. They likely know who you are, because I guess they checked your ID when they locked you out or whatever. And something like the police are after you. And then they get to their hideout. Mm Mm-hmm. And they give some idea for hideouts, what to do if you're, do if you're caught again. But it, it's actually, I think this is for a, I don't use a lot of free written stories, but this seems like it's useful for, it's like, okay, here's a default plot, but they give a lot of information on other things that could happen and what to do if your players do something different or the roles work differently. Yeah. And it is very, um, you get sort of stereotypical examples of each Keth because the six sample characters come from six different kiths and they're stereotypical for lack of a better description Mm -hmm. the puka is very much a puka the slua is very much a slua i don't think the satyr's that much of a satyr like he works but i don't think he's like a stereotype of a satyr well he's an unseely satyr which i think is a 
an interesting spin. So he's just very... He's a stereotype of unseely, that's for sure. Yeah, he's very passionate and very short-tempered and in-your-face and proud of it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the story's resolved where either... Like, yeah, there's something about the Slua. If, some, if they use this one Slua character, they can use Soothsay, I believe. I didn't explicitly say, but I think that's what's going on. To figure out Terry's not in his body. And that's one of the issues, because they they say that. They say, oh, there is still this connection between the childling and glamour. And they determine, oh, okay, his fairy self is just somewhere else. But they don't follow up on that. There's no mechanics for how you would get that face self back. And again, there's mm-hmm. no, in future books, as far as I can think of, there's no sort of description yeah. of that happening. So as a storyteller... You just kind of run out of word count. Right. But as a storyteller, <laughs> you kind of shot. have to just invent out of whole cloth how that works, which seems like a a big a big assignment. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how I'd do it if I no. ran this. Like, I mean, it's it's different from undoing. Yeah, it kind of works as like a... I mean, this does seem like everything up to that point is one session. So this is a one-shot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's some political connections. The Reeve comes back to see what's up and claim the ward for the Duchess. But he gets disappointed when it seems like the child has been lost to banality. Yep. This also does have the thing in... Uh, I always have with Changeling books where... I don't tend to find the pictures of their she very attractive. Yeah. And that's the story. That's uh, yeah. that's about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's it for chapter two. And then we have chapter three, which is just the characters. Yeah. I really liked... Okay, well, so do you want to go over every character or... Sure. I mean, they're pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quickly describable. Uh, we have Tammy and Tommy, the twins. Mm-hmm who are a puka and troll childling, respectively. Mm-hmm. Kitty puka. Supposed to the wolf puka. Was that the wolf puka who was the senator or the reeve? Uh, I think he was some kind of uh, fox-like thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm not a naturalist, but... Um, yep. Does your... You have the, do you have the hard copy? I do. Yeah, I don't know if it's the one I downloaded off drive through. Uh, page... 51 is upside down for me. It's just, oh, no. It's a picture of the... It's it's upside down oh. in the hard copy, too. So It is? No, no. Oh, okay. here, here we go, though. So Eric is a German shepherd. Okay. That's his, uh, that's his puka form. Yeah, that works. He does also have a truth-telling mood ring, which I kind of like as a treasure. Yeah, me too. I think I want that, especially on a puka. Um, so yeah, we have the two, the two twins... And then we get um, Chiller the Seder with some art, which, well, let's say it has some very strategically placed hair and shadow because he is basically yep. wearing only a leather jacket, like a Seder would. Well, I'm confused by the, tr- yeah, the troll's wearing a leather football uniform or football armor. I mean, he's probably on the, you know, fifth grade elementary school football team. Okay. Yeah. With the leather skirt and the, the tunic. Anyway, the football tunic. They took them a long time to figure out what trolls look like in Changeling books. Yeah, and he's kind of a greenish-gray color rather than the striking blue of later editions. Yep. The Slua is wearing, um, well, leather chaps, apparently, and fishnets, like a Slua does. Yep. Yeah, it's very slow. It's like, you know, fetish fish. Out of all the characters, I think the red cap is the most interesting to me, which, granted, I don't find... Yeah. 
I'll be honest, none of them are characters that I would feel really compelled to play. But the red cap, just from the art alone, yep. uh, is a very striking... Oh, yeah, it's the most... <laughs> so that's the thing I found, especially when I was running various LARPs, or I've seen the number of red caps who take the wings merit mm. yeah, has yeah. been surprisingly high, going for a sort of demonic thing, which isn't really an, ever their write-up, but it works. And I, I just liked the red cap... So she, she's a foster kid who ends up um, going through a chrysalis when she's in a foster family of two red caps. And they're the sweetest, nicest red caps ever. Which I love. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yes. And I say that as I say that as a child of a lifelong social worker. So like, you know, to, to have, I mean, it takes that narrative of the problem child being, you know, shuttled from foster home to foster home and then gives her the the most supportive foster home for her possible because it's two parents who understand her totally. Yeah, it's like, of course you want to kill everybody and like yeah. eat their flesh. Who doesn't? I also <laughs> like that their names are Rob and Pam, which that's great. Yep. You know, Rob and Pam, the red caps. Mm-hmm. So, and then but yeah, she's, she's very, um she's wearing essentially like this, clan of the cave bear fur bikini and then mm-hmm. has barbed wire wrapped around one arm piercings in her upper arms and nails in her cheeks and then like rouge like a red cap would a pair of scissors as a bracelet you know all these sorts of little accents that in the dye oh yeah everybody wore buttons back then yeah on their wrist flesh so yes and then we get yeah so White Wolf in the 90s, all that we you know need to say about this is that there are certain ethnic terms that uh, have become deprecated, certainly since the 90s, which White Wolf was much more willing to use, which a lot of people were much more willing to use back then. But to name a character yeah. that is problematic. I knew people back then that were in the demographic, even if I wasn't playing Changeling in 1995. And... I'm, I think I must have encountered somebody who had that as a nickname. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. Because we're kind of talking around this, we're talking about the Rom, Roma, Romnichal, whichever designation. You, so, yep. the G word. And this character's explicitly not Romani. Or yeah, whatever. which kind of, I think, makes it kind of worse. <laughs> so, yes. Know. I mean, it, and it goes into the I don't whole... know what. It's like, well, she's got darker skin and she's exotic. Right. And is therefore an issue, which like... It's just digging the hole deeper. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it was what they were going through with the issue. So, right. She, she and, ticks all the issue boxes. And it sucks because she actually seems like a cool character. She functions. She's a grump. That's like the den mother. Yeah. She's a nurse and she keeps a 38 in her purse. Yeah. Like is, as a character, I love that. Is the satyr problematic? I'm always unconf- I'm a bit more unsure with that. The satyr, I mean, yeah. The, the satyr is supposed to have lived on the streets and been in a gang, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I suppose with things like this, it's each person has to decide for themselves where they're going to draw the line to an extent. I mean, there are some things where there's a hard line, but, yeah. you know, thinking about how much benefit of the doubt or leeway you want to give mm-hmm. these sort of attempts to be inclusive. Uh, I would not run the. You have a group of people who've never played Changeling and you have this book. And everything aside of running from 1E, even if you adapted it to C20 or something like that, which wouldn't be that hard, I don't think. Don't, you need to do a bit more work than that, I think, to run that. Yeah. And there's a level of thinking about, sure, it was the mid-90s, the internet was barely a Mm -hmm. thing for most people, and research was a lot more 
difficult, particularly yeah. when you're freelancing under a deadline. Oh, I'm not trying to blame anybody on this. And I'm not trying to say it's bad for the time or something like that. Or people who wrote this are bad people now. And we've interviewed one of them on the show. And like, I think it's, I just think using this in a game today. Right, right. Again, it's not like it's so, it's, I don't think it's useless or you'd have to just throw it out. I think you'd have more to say about how to, in fact, if I were to do this, I think I'd be talking about you, talking to you personally, Puka, about how to adapt it, some of the aspects, but. Right on. Maybe that'll be a show note thing about how to adapt this story. (laughs) Things to watch out for. Well, I think that could be a good idea at some point for us to do an episode on with you and some possibly other people, like how to address especially i don't know mental health in general or psychiatric things specifically in a changeling game because i don't i think you can still use it to say things about problems in various health mental health systems absolutely yeah but some of the uh, i don't think even in the 90s anywhere in the u.s mental health institutions were kidnapping people with blowguns like no no (laughs) well and it's the world of darkness it's taking that fear of you know the mental health apparatus or you know taking that and and making it much more paranoia inducing this notion that at any moment people and also more of an action game right the notion that at any moment people could pop up and whisk you away against your will to Mm -hmm. a facility that is intended to beat you into submission essentially and that i mean it was almost 30 years ago certainly psychiatry has opened up a lot since then but yep like, I was also thinking if you want to go really dark, and this is also getting into warnings, I guess, we could yeah. contact warning already, like a uh, conversion therapy facility. Right. Which is essentially how it's presented. Yeah. It's just instead of dealing with schizophrenia or something, I guess is what he's talking about, schizophrenia. Just talk, yeah, you're dealing with being queer, right? Which also goes well to changeling, I think. Yeah. It is one of the things, I mean, because this this is a through line, certainly through first edition, this preoccupation with psychiatry and its effect on the kithane. I do appreciate how in C20, particularly in the fourth Immortalized novel that came out, mild spoiler, one of the characters from the original novels has become a child psychiatrist and, you know, Mm. kind of struggles sometimes to balance her glamour against banality, but works to identify and help Kithane children to ensure they aren't drawn into a worse situation where their fey nature is suppressed. So working with them. And if you could also, I don't know, like if you if you took a different types of PCs for this and you had like at least one Kithane who is a psychiatrist of some maybe child child psychiatrist, sure, some sort of yeah. psychiatrist going uh, this is wrong, but we can't go through the bureaucratic channels to deal with this fast enough to save this kid, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's another way you could probably take this and cover up. I've got to deal with some a lot of the problems potentially. Yeah. Anyway, we also get a few very, very uh, basically designed maps. Um, yeah, this is a dungeon crawl, and that's the book. Um, so, what did you think of the adventure and the book overall? I surprisingly liked it. Like I said, there's problematic elements that need would need to be addressed. But yeah, it's uh, for the right group. I could mm-hmm. run this, something like this. As a first adventure goes, I, I also think it works pretty well. I think it establishes yeah. a lot of the themes of the game, and or at least the first edition themes, in the sense of talking about isolation, kinship, 
you have sort of an adventure in the sense of having a dungeon crawl, the danger of disbelief in the form of Dr. Chapman and the camera. So it, it touches on a lot of those things. This apparently also came with the storyteller screen. It did. Do you have that? Yep, I do. I have not seen it. Ah, well, hang on one second and I will fetch it. We can cut this out later because <laughs> I forgot to bring it with me. One moment. I just knocked over a bunch of things as I went to get it. Mm -hmm. So the storyteller's screen, to very carefully fold this out because it's very old at this point, you have kind of uh, a bar scene where it's sort of grayscale on two of the panels and it's these figures in their mortal seemings and then full color panels on the other side where they're in their changeling seemings. Uh, you've got like... The red cap with rivets in their forehead. You've got the she dressed like an extra from Zelda. You've got the presumably unseely Boggin bartender. They actually all look pretty unseely. It's a nice little piece of art, I suppose. And then on the inside, we've got all of these standard helpful tables like firefight complications because you need those. Um, well, you do in this adventure. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. Everyone's got guns. Yeah. You've got the experience chart, the combat summary chart. Um, the mist chart. Oh, yeah, I found a picture of it somewhere. You also have a warning signs checklist for Bedlam? Yeah, which is something which I feel has maybe fallen out a little bit from C20. I mean, there are still, you know, ways that Bedlam can happen, but it's a lot more in this instance. It's things like, you have no mortal friends. You are almost exclusively nocturnal. Uh, you spend more than half of your waking time creating art of some kind. You have no mortal family. And it's a reminder that changelings are creatures of balance between their fey selves and their human selves. So to not spend any yep. time engaging with your human side and to feel like you don't need it, that's going to get you to bedlam real quick. I Has anyone created a Storyteller's Vault supplement on taking that into C20 as like more concrete rules for like, I don't know, gaming nightmare or something? Well, not yet, but now that you said it... Um... <laughs> I need to because I like all those. It's just too. It's always been too vague for me to use. Yeah, and I don't mean you spent. Let's see, this week you spent three days out of seven, but no, like something with rolls or something, or crumpets. Yes, or scones, or muffins, or all sorts of baked good. Um, no, I don't. I don't know that there is one uh, on the storyteller's vault, but perhaps there should be. Mm -hmm. So that's the book of storyteller secrets and storyteller screen. I think I am a little mm -hmm. bit spoiled. So there is also another book called the Book of Storyteller Secrets, which is from the original Vampire Dark Ages line. And that book, there's no jumpstart adventure, but there's a lot more setting expansion in the sense of like, you get information about Dark Ages Europe, you get the gargoyles and the rituals that become viscerotica later on, you get additional rules. I think there are maybe combat rules in there, but it's a much crunchier book than this is. So, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, Jumpstart might have been a better name for this Changeling book. Although it also has the crossover rules. Well, very briefly. <laughs> Speaking of very aptly named books, we're going to cover another even shorter book, The Player's Kit. I don't even know that I would call this a book, to be honest. I mean, a it's... Pamphlet? Yeah, pamphlet works. It's it's 16 pages and it's like eight sheets stapled together, so or four four sheets, I guess. Four glossy full color sheets stapled together. Yeah. So I've been using the PDFs that I got when I uh backed the C20 Kickstarter for all of these. Mm. So, I mean, I have some hard copy books, just nothing that we've covered yet, but 
Yeah. What I do like about it is, so essentially what it consists of, the only thing it consists of besides the ads at the end are individual bunks for all five levels of all six basic arts for all nine kiths. Yeah. Which, I mean, I personally enjoy making up bunks, but I can see how this would be very helpful for somebody who just Mm -hmm. needs a bunk real quick and doesn't have cantrip cards on them. It also slight change to the to the bunk rules to make them a little bit simpler. Yes, which they desperately need. <laughs> as we talked about in our review of the course. The level of bunk is the same as how the effect of the bunk. Imagine that. Know? Yeah, as opposed to what we talked about with the core book. So. Mm-hmm. Well, in both of these books, reference the Immortalized trilogy, which we'll be getting into later. So it's they definitely had right because they were released more or less simultaneously. Yeah, they definitely done a lot of writing on that when they did this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so maybe we should just we should find we should find a way to get Ethan Skimp on this podcast to Ooh. only ask him about this book. I'm I'm open to that. <laughs> it's like so. Why on on page uh, on this page? Why did you choose this particular? Let's <laughs> let's talk about the most important thing you've ever published for White. No, that yes. would be me. players' kit. What's that? <laughs> but fundamentally, it's it's a collection of two hundred and seventy bunks. So there you go. That's our review of uh, this book. Yeah. Well, and it also contains some punch-out bunk cards, uh, which you can use to create your own, and a pad of full-color character sheets, which, you know, is handy. But... Oh, and an ad for Mage the Ascension 2nd Edition. Yes. The thing, can I ask you, have you ever used pads of character sheets for any reason? No. I had, by the time I got into gaming, I had printers. Right, yeah. Or photocopiers. I mean, I, I like it. It's yeah. it's nice to have, but I don't want to write on it. I would never, you'd never want to write on them. Yeah. Cause they're, yeah. I actually you know I, what we usually did at that point when I first got into gaming, although that was before I got into Changeling. By the time I got into Changeling, I, I think we had the internet and PDFs and stuff, but we just used like, you know, paper. You wrote on it. There you go. With numbers. That also works. Oh, I like these character sheets because at the bottom, they tell you how many points there are for character creation. As any good character sheet should. Yes. Yes, so that's been uh, changing the podcast. Oh, I still yes. have. Oh, oh, wait, still yes, have sorry, yes, I forgot. <laughs> Our special surprise. So, listeners, I located five packs of Changeling cantrip cards, and I bought them. I did it. Uh, so, so, so you got to take us through. Like, are, does it just say cantrip cards on the wrapper? Well, it does. It says Changeling cantrip cards contains ten new cantrip cards for use with Changeling of the Dreaming, and then gives you some information on the back. Experience the magical world of changelings, the forgotten ones, neither fully fey nor fully mortal, the last of their kind on earth, the changelings dwell in an invisible kingdom created within the boundaries of the mortal world. Only a select few may step into their world. Which, as as someone who occasionally does editing and proofreading, using world three times in three sentences really bothers me. Um, so <laughs> they, could, what, they should have used realm and then... Or something. I don't planet. know. Planet. <laughs> yeah. So... They were two fifty each, which is about par for the course for packs of for, for booster packs. When you say two fifty oh you mean at the time they cost two dollars and fifty cents each? Two yeah, two dollars okay. fifty cents American. So as as we discussed previously, you know, CCGs were the thing in nineteen ninety five and we had the rage card game tying in with Werewolf, we had Vampire the Eternal Struggle tying in with Vampire, we eventually got Arcadia the Wild Hunt tying in with Changeling. Uh, it wasn't Vampire the Eternal Struggle at that time. Uh, by nineteen ninety five I think it was. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, that was, I yes. think, when they changed it. Oh, that was when they Yes, you're right. Sorry. So, yeah, having having cantrip cards, I like the idea of using cards as a prop in a game for bunks. And I like the idea of it being, to some degree, randomized even. However, 
to make that the entire magic system and have it be more or less required might be kind of a misstep. So, so are you going to be opening up these packages? I am. So here, I'll, I'll put this near the microphone so you can hear the crinkle. All right. So here we go. All right. So, I mean, I can just tell you I have Badge of Honor, which is a... Okay, if I'm remembering how this works correctly, it is a one-point sovereign bunk that is minus two. <laughs> I can't even remember like what exactly this means. Yeah, it's it's a, a one or two-point sovereign bunk. And this, I think, cuts to the heart of the difficulty of using these because like, I'm looking at it and I'm still not sure how it works. So, Are they all bunks? Well, so that's the first one. There's uh, Shatter Glass, which is a Wayfair bunk where you break some glass. We have uh, Vana's Revenge, a legerdemain bunk where you reveal something by yanking a curtain or cloth off it. That's like eight. That could be potentially like Changeling After Dark. Oh, wow. Some of the art is actually quite, quite nice. So we have a Soothsay bunk where you burn a piece of your subject. I think it's there's one bunk for each yeah. art. And we will be having pictures of these in the show notes. Yes. Here's The Rooster Screams at Midnight, where you recite bad poetry for a chicanery bunk. This Wayfair bunk is very difficult to read. Smoke three cigarettes at the same time. Well, let's hope that no one uses that in LARP. Yeah, well, uh, you could use... They had, like, Popeye cigarettes back then. Candy cigarettes. I think those got banned here. But... They did get banned here. <laughs> I think, don't think they've been banned by that point, though. Oh, we have a Nightmare. Hmm. So, because you have Nightmare. So, wait, we have Bunk, 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 Nightmare. And then, oh, more Bunks. So Legerdemain, Primal, and another Nightmare. Oh, weren't there other... Didn't you need like Art and Realm cards too? You do. Well, and that's part of the issue I have with CCGs in principle is that where, especially when it's kind of a necessary part of the game, it's like, okay, you got no Arts and Realms, so now you've got to go buy another pack. Well, I know Magic the Gathering had was pretty good about like lands being enough lands in every deck kind of thing every pack magic used to have and I, I was playing magic at the time so me too yeah you you always got basic lands in the starter decks and then the booster packs were just kind of i don't think there were ever that's true there's no starter deck of these can't right cards. exactly I'll, I'll open one more and see if i have a see if i got lucky all right let's see yeah. it's like so far you you have at least the first pack you couldn't play at all right so here's another nightmare Here's a chicanery bunk. Click continuously with your tongue for half a minute, which seems to be a four-point bunk. That's seems pretty straightforward. I mean, it does take half a minute. Ah, here we go. Here's Mooch, which I believe is Legerdemain 1. Oh, don't ask if you remember for first edition. They changed it in second. It actually just yes. says Mooch. It doesn't tell you what art or what level. So. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Ah, here's Portal Passage. Nice. Now I can open Trods. Except I need the appropriate realm card to open the trod. Here's base element, which is, what is that, nature Nature oh, one? Oh my goodness, I just realized how many cards you'd need. Assuming you don't get duplicates. Familiar face. This seems to be full of realms, actually. Mooch is Familiar level four, face, by the way. Oh, okay. So we've got a couple actor ones. Here's dictum, so that's sovereign. Did the actor ones just have, like, boring look? Like, does the person match the, like, level of actor? Uh... Well, Hardy Commoner has a boggin sitting in a hobbit hole petting a cat with an eye patch. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have I, I have Hardy Commoner and Familiar okay. Face. Familiar yeah. Face, it looks like uh, somebody... I mean, there's 
two guys grinning at each other lasciviously is the only way I can think of to describe it. Okay. Complete Stranger has a She Noble apparently cosplaying as Batman, being followed by two shadowy figures. That's an interesting choice for that card. Okay. And it's a range of artists. So, you know, you've got a mm-hmm. few different, a lot of Brian LeBlanc, some Jeff Miracola, some well known fantasy artist types. But yeah, there is, I will mm-hmm. say, it is, it is a little bit, oh my gosh, this makes a lot more sense. So I just turned the cards over. <laughs> Yes, so the bunk cards just have uh, a thing that says bunk and the fey icon. And then the arts and realms actually give you, it tells you what level it is and what the details are. So dictum, sovereign two, and it gives yeah. you the full description and the effect. But wait, so it says on both sides what it is? On on the front of the arts and realms, it just has the name and the art. And then on the back, it gives you all of the details. But if you're drawing then everyone can see it well because the arts the arts and realms you keep in your hand and the bunks are what you draw at random oh but why do you even have a hand if it doesn't matter that you're hiding things i listen (laughs) this whole system was not you know not ideal therefore hey wait how many of these are there could we use a deck of cards a regular deck of playing cards for this i think there's i think there's something like 180 total Okay, we can use a deck of magic cards for this. Or something. Or just make your own, you know. Mm -hmm. Are these up on drive-thru cards? I don't know that they are, actually. I know that, like, the templates certainly are. Um, And I know that on Storyteller's Vault, people have created homebrew ones for some of the new arts. But Mm -hmm. I don't know that the original cantrip cards are available. Mm -hmm. They're also, they're they're more like tarot card size. They're not magic card or playing card Uh, size. That's kind of nice. Difficult to sleeve, though. Mm -hmm. You can't find sleeves for tarot cards. They're they're tougher to find, I think. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like I'm living in 1995 as I hold these. So I do recall. I think you know we used to have a card shop down, not really down the road. It was like a two mile walk, and as a sign of the changing times, when I was nine years old, I frequently walked to the card shop two or three miles away, like during the summer when there was no parents or any other supervision around and it was totally fine nowadays mm-hmm. i don't think that would fly with most parents but <laughs> well it's not even most parents it's uh most police that too but going there i do recall seeing because the the cover art of the packs themselves is very striking very vibrantly colored you have the mm-hmm. griffin on the this blue stained glass background so i recall seeing them and not really knowing what they were because this was before mm-hmm. i actually played changeling so if only if only you could have been slightly earlier into Changeling. I could have been sitting pretty on my stacks and stacks of cantrip cards that I would have needed to buy umpteen of just to play the game. Yep. I wonder if anyone's like developed like tarot divination things with the cantrip cards. That's so meta. I love it. Your your soothsay bunk is to use cantrip cards as tarot cards. Yes. I have seen people in LARP using tarot cards as soothsay bunks. But... Nice. Anyway, that's cantrip cards. They're a thing. Actually, one person used the Mage Tarot for it. That was a little bit meta. Oh, the Mage Tarot is beautiful. I have friends who have, between them, they have like the old one, the revised one, and the Awakening one, and it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes, so thank you for that uh, sneak peek. We're going to sneak peek a trip back to... It's a cool artifact, less cool as a mechanic. But... Yes, fun as a prop. Yes. Not as a foundation. Prop or as a nature. Mm. 
I did notice in, in the Book of Storyteller Secrets, uh, when they list the character stats, they have props with an S, mm. which I find interesting for no particular reason. Oh, there was a few little mistakes. I think somebody, I think one of the she has, uh, is rank two, maybe rank four under the werewolf It's difficult rules. to get these cards back into the pack um, wrapper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like struggling to align the corners. Okay. So anyway. I think that wraps us up for today. Um, once again, I've been Josh and here with Puka. I have been and continue to remain so. Yes. This has been Changeling the Podcast, produced by us. We'll have a website and social info at some point. And a Discord. Uh, Join our yes. Discord when it's active. And actually, by the time you listen to this, we better have that. I think all of that should be Yes, up. it is in progress at, at time of recording. So. Yes. Yeah. And once again, uh, don't follow the banality and don't let any Dantain shoot you with blowguns on the street. Ravage responsibly. Here come the outtakes. Welcome to me. Oh, strike that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have to put oh. that as an outtake. Yep. Sorry, Welcome Terry. to... <laughs> okay, all right. Welcome to... Okay.